You're listening to Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn how to improve key metrics that grow your business from companies that have done it before. In this episode, I got to talk with MJ Peters, VP of Marketing at Colab, to learn how she's working to drive inbound SAOs. We talked about the three levers she pulls to drive SAOs, how she differentiates between demand capture and creation, her framework for marketing messaging and what types of messaging she believes you should use in different places, and so much more. She's one of the smartest marketers I've ever talked to, and she had so many amazing practical insights to share here. I really hope you get as much out of this episode as I did. All right, MJ, it is such an honor to have you on. Like I said, uh, before I hit the record button, I've been you know, a fan of you for a long time, following you on LinkedIn, now following you on Twitter. Um, really been enjoying the content that you put out, so thanks so much for being willing to come on and chat with me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for asking me. I think this podcast is a very cool concept, so I'm excited to get into it. Cool. Um, okay, so today, uh, well, yeah, let's start here. So what does Colab do? You're, this is a new role for you. You moved from Refine Labs um, to this role at Colab. So what does Colab do in like a 30-second pitch and kind of what's your role there? So um, Colab makes software for mechanical engineering teams working on complex products, um, particularly uh, to better engage uh, the engineers and help them make decisions better. Um, There are a couple of problems with how this is done right now, Uh, namely engineers like design in um, computer-aided design tools. So they're doing a lot of 3D modeling and it's like you can't share them the way that you would share like a graphic designer's tool or or sorry, a graphic designer's work or um, like a software engineer, right? They have great robust communication tools. Uh, Mechanical engineers do not yet. And so as a result, like decision-making is a lot slower, time to market is slower. Um, So we are bridging that gap and fixing that problem for mechanical engineering teams. Awesome. And uh, so is this kind of like uh, the figma of engineering design? Yes, a little bit. Um, Probably a direct uh, analogy would be like it's the um, sales loft to the sales force of engineering. So it's, it's about engagement, not like record keeping. Cool. Okay, got it. Um, awesome. So we're going to be talking about SAOs today. Um, I'm curious though, to get started, what other metrics does your team kind of keep an eye on and, and do you prioritize either by quarter or by year? Um, so I guess in, we would, we would think about quarter and year a little bit differently, right? Like in theory, you can miss a quarter if you make the year, but, um, I think it's easier um, as a team to stay execution oriented, if you focus on the quarter, so like, um, you know, daily, I'm thinking about the quarter, quarter's target. Um, and then uh, in addition to SAOs, we will obviously look at SQLs, which is the step right before SAO. Um, and for us, our criteria for SQL, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit uh, later, is pretty stringent. Um, so that there's not a lot of marketing metrics upstream of that. So we're not looking at anything like MQLs or, or content downloads or anything like that. Um, I also like to look at qualitative data. So like what are people saying when they convert? Um, and then I'll, I'll cut like the SQL and the SAO data um, a couple of different ways. Um, one would be by use case, like what are they, what are the prospects uh, intending to use our software for? Because that gives me an idea of what messaging is resonating with them in the market. The other way I cut it is by self-reported attribution source so that I know uh, which channels are driving the most impact. How are you measuring what they intend to use the software for? Is that like, I would imagine the how you heard about us is like the qualitative, maybe like 
the efficacy of of some of your demand gen but then did how how do you are you finding how they intend to use it is this like a series of like check boxes like we're this size company or this you know use case intention or something so um the simplest uh way that we do this from a quantitative perspective is we have three solutions pages on our website and each one has its own form um, and the solutions pages are often the landing page for the demand gen campaigns so like somebody is consuming messaging about cost reduction right so this is a use case where they're using collab the mechanical engineering team to like identify ways to design cost out of their product and manufacture it more cost effectively. Um, so they might see that messaging in feed on LinkedIn, and then they're likely going to consume messaging on the solutions page about that specific use case before converting. And there is a form on that page and we use three different forms for the solutions pages. So we can like run automation in the background on HubSpot to say, this is the use case they're probably gonna wanna talk to sales about. That's awesome. Super clever. So then that's tied through like somewhere. Is it like uh, information included in the deal? So you are able to tell like, are, are you looking at this like um, when it gets to revenue or when they hit like the SAO stage or something and you're able to say like, oh, wow, the majority are coming from this one or, or care about this pain point? Yeah, so it's um, it starts as a custom field on the contact record because that if if um, the contact is converting on a particular form, then that it gets tagged to the contact, um, and then you can copy it to the deal record. However, the the key step that a lot of teams miss is this does mean that your sales team must associate a contact with every deal. Otherwise, you won't be able to con copy the use case information from the contact to the deal because there's a missing link there. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, so how often are you setting goals around these? Is this happening annually? Uh, are you setting them quarter by quarter? Like you're still a little like earlier stage. So how are you thinking about setting goals? Um, and then the follow up question is how often are you looking at this number? Like I know you said you looking at you're kind of thinking about the quarters numbers every day. How often is the team looking at these numbers? Um, so how, do we, how often do we set them? We uh, set the quarterly goal um, usually like three weeks before the start of the quarter. So like on June 10th or something like that, the exec team had a two-day offsite and we set all the, uh, the quarterly goals for Q3. Um, I think that was good because we had a, uh, basically as much information as, uh, about the business as possible before setting this target, right? So you set a realistic target that is a stretch, but not like ridiculous. Right. Um, and, but we like to do it like three weeks ahead of time because then like if there's debate about what the priorities should be, we can like go through that process and, and then actually have the targets set in stone by the beginning, by the time the quarter starts, right? So the team actually has the whole quarter to focus on, focus on these targets. Um, and then how often does my team think about it? I would imagine they think about it every day. Um, <laughs> one thing that we do to like um, keep everybody's eye on the ball is, uh, you know, we've got like a marketing channel in Slack, we've got a sales development channel in Slack. And um, as like new SQLs and SAOs come in or, you know, progress through the pipeline, people are posting updates to those Slack channels. Um, and the actual like description of the Slack channel has the progress towards the goal in the description of the Slack channel. So Amazing. at the top of the marketing yeah. Slack channel, it's like we are five out of 15 SAOs for the quarter or whatever. That's awesome. Uh, so you said three weeks before the quarter. That's, is that like partly to also just, like you said, it's more accurate. You have 
more awareness like if you trended like i would imagine if you just took a year's goal and then chopped it up into four like phases you know things could go wildly different than you expect so this keeps you like you said able to set more accurate goals um and then is this enough time like is your team coming up with a fresh plan on how to achieve that within those three weeks or does not a lot change and you kind of knew what channels you were going to use to drive that going into that meeting yeah, so that's that's a good question. Um, like on a macro scale, um, I don't like to try to execute too many channels all at once. So I kind of have an idea of um, which channels we're going to use, and that doesn't change that much throughout the course of a year. Um, but I have like a very action-oriented sort of marketing plan template um, that gets right down to the specifics. And the point of this template is uh, every single week, every single person on my team has like one big goal. It's like ship this new messaging on the landing page or um, write this uh, blog post about this specific thing that we want to have a point of view on. And like, obviously, you know, there's daily activities, things come up every day, but like everybody on my team knows like ship the one big goal every week and we will be executing to the plan. And so I have that kind of template populated by the beginning of each quarter. And, and I do like, there's some moving around that happens between like three weeks ahead of the quarter and, and the start of the quarter. So in that three weeks, like the specifics of the plan, like what are we gonna do the week of September 2nd, right? I don't even know if September 2nd is a Monday, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, like that might move around a little bit and it might continue to move throughout the month of July, for example, it's the first month of a quarter, but like I wanna have a pretty good idea of what is the messaging focus for the quarter, what are the channels, and then what each person on my team should be their number one priority each week. And then are you syncing with any managers on like uh, I have no idea so I'll just throw out an example like say there's an SEO component to it like okay they've compiled this much research and they think the next most valuable article is this like are you kind of working with them to like they'll serve up an idea and then you'll just help them break it down to these weekly goals to make sure that they're shipping consistently or are you kind of setting that at a high level yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, SEO is an interesting example, right? Because like, as you've pointed out, it's, it's based on data and keyword research and like somebody with a good working knowledge of SEO, i.e. Adam Taff on my team, he's our digital marketing manager, can like pretty easily set, set the priorities themselves just based on that data. I don't feel like I need to like meddle in that. Um, Paid social, on the other hand, needs to be really tightly integrated into the product marketing strategy. And as we were talking about uh, right before the show, I'm currently like the product marketing manager of Colab. Um, my background is in product marketing and um, we have not uh, chosen to invest in a like a full-time product marketing manager yet. Um, and so for that reason, I get a little bit more hands-on on what's going out on paid social just because I'm the person with the product marketing strategy uh, kind of on my plate. Because you're thinking then like you're, you're trying to align the paid strategy with like different uh, messaging or different like use cases you want to highlight that month or something like that. Exactly. Okay. All right. So uh, I guess let's get into it. So, oh no, I have one more question on this. So um, yes, let's define how, let's tease apart the difference between SQLs and SAOs for you. So you said you don't focus on MQLs. SQLs are sort of like the first thing you're, you're kind of looking at and you're pretty stringent about those. So what does some, what qualifications does a lead have to meet to be an SQL and then what qualifications to be an SAO, uh, an SAO? 
Yeah. So um, SQL, sales qualified lead, um, there's two sources of SQLs. There's inbound and outbound. So my team obviously only focuses on the inbound SQLs. Um, and the criteria is like firmographic. So um, as an example, one of the main drivers of value for somebody to get value out of our product is how many mechanical engineers do they have on their team. So if they have more than 20 mechanical engineers, you could imagine that there is a lot of complex decision making and communication can become a real sticking point for these teams. So is the company working on a mechanically complex product? Do they have a lot of mechanical engineers on their team? If yes, then uh, it tends to meet the firmographic criteria for SQL. An inbound SQL also is declaring intent. So they're like raising their hand and saying, I want to talk to sales. So it has to be a person who is from a company that meets those firmographic criteria and is raising their hand and saying, I want to talk to sales. So they booked a meeting, um, the first meeting with the sales team. Um, in general, we have th that meeting goes directly to an AE with an SDR. So there's two people from the collab side on, on that call. Um, sometimes we'll have like a intermediary screening meeting if we're not like quite sure if they're going to meet the firmographic criteria. And that would just be an SDR. But like 90% of the time, we, we can pretty much tell and they go straight to the call with the AE. So that's SQL. Okay. Um, and then SAO is that first call went well. There is like alignment between the pain we solve for and the pain this prospect is experiencing. And the AE is basically saying, I'm going to, I'm going to put this in my pipeline. Okay. Awesome. So what steps are you taking? We talked, you know, uh, pre launching the show, pre pre recording that you're, you're new to the role. You're still seeing a lot of the strategy play out, but what is the strategy that like walk me through from a high level on how you're trying to drive inbound SAOs? Yeah. So, um, I think there's three levers that you can pull when you're trying to increase this number. Uh, the first one is just like how many eyeballs do you have on your brand and your messaging? So that's doing things like, uh, advertising and creating content both organically and for paid, uh, to increase eyeballs. Number two is messaging. So, um, once you get the eyeballs on your website, uh, is what they're reading resonating with them and then ultimately causing them to convert and reach out to you to book a meeting. And then the third is, uh, what's the experience of that first call? Like is, um, the messaging they hear on that first call lined up with what they've seen from the marketing material thus far. I think a lot of companies like overemphasize the eyeballs piece of this. Um, and they don't spend enough time thinking about the messaging to convert and uh, the experience of that first call. And I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit there. Um, we've probably been most focused on messaging in the last sort of 90 to 120 days since I've been here. And the impact of that, we are really starting to feel it now. So what I, I love this framework. I think this is, I, I love taking like complex things and making them simple. So I love that you're like dividing it in these three ways. The under the messaging, well, I guess let's start at the top. So under the eyeballs, what does that include for you at Colab? Like, is that the traditional, um, you know, like demand gen activities running paid? Um, yeah. What, what does that look like for you in total? Yeah. So it's running paid. Um, and then it's also SEO and paid search. Um, and then like for me, content, it's hard to like really separate content from paid and SEO, right? Because content is either going to be SEO content or it's going to be content that you probably distribute via paid and organic. So, um, you know, any of those activities are going to, um, hopefully increase the number of eyeballs that you get on your website. And is this, when you say eyeballs, like obviously you're, 
are you looking at the of uh, the are there leading and lagging indicators here with the eye with this like eyeballs phase like is this like okay good impressions are there it's being consumed it's being consumed by the right people you would know that through like linkedin ad targeting but then you're also like trying to tie it i mean you said there's like qualitative attribution so i'm guessing you're tying that through to revenue on the other end yeah, so like just in this phase, um, particularly with paid, the number one metric I look for as a leading metric is click through rate, um, so and, and engagement rate to a to a lesser extent. So um, you can basically like compare uh, how ads are performing against one another on the basis of click through rate. In general, if the content is resonating and driving eyeballs to your website, you're going to have a higher click through rate. In general, click-through rates are like pretty low on paid social. So um, half a percent is good, one percent is great. Um, and so that's what I'll look for in terms of a, a leading indicator. I will also often like dig a little bit deeper. So I'll open up a specific creative and I'll look at the specific job titles of the people that liked it or commented on it. Um, if you're not spending a ton and if you have a niche market and your market's small, this might not be a huge, there might be like seven people that liked it. But if they're all engineering managers at companies making mechanically complex products, I know I'm reaching the right audience. The other way to know you're reaching the right audience is to actually like dig into LinkedIn's demographics and see the job titles of the people that are actually being served the ads. Um, and usually this will be like 80% the right people even on the first try. But um, oftentimes you'll see, ooh, that's like an irrelevant job title. I want to suppress that from future targeting to make sure that 100% of my budget is really going towards the people I want to see this stuff. Okay. Now, I'm going to take the opportunity to selfishly uh, geek out with you because you're here. So, uh, on, so on this note, um, John, we, I was just processing through one of the past episodes, uh, repurposing it where Chris, uh, for listeners, Chris Walker, Chris came on and delineated between capturing demand channels and creating demand channels are you thinking about do you think about it that way and like um so like on, on the eyeball stage are you thinking about serving up a call to action and messaging that's one way with where there's higher intent maybe like google search or seo or something like that um or or google uh paid ads versus like versus like linkedin like are you are you optimizing um, LinkedIn or social ads more for, to get this messaging out, like to get, take some of your product messaging and your point of view and things and getting that out there. Yeah. So, um, I definitely think about, uh, capture demand versus create demand paid search SEO are both going to be capture demand because you have to respond to demand that already exists, right? Like you can't do SEO and you can't do paid search unless there is people searching for the particular term. So you got to figure out what they're already searching for, i.e. what there already is demand for and just like position yourselves to capture it. So you, in those channels, you have less control over the messaging. It's like, what are they searching for? How do I respond from a positioning perspective to meet with them where they're at, which is already right. searching for this thing. Whereas with paid social, you're going out to people that are not searching for anything, right? They're just on this platform. And so you have more control over the message that you deliberately choose to put out because you're literally just paying to put it out there. Um, but at the same time, you need to kind of make sure that message is enough of a hook that somebody who's not looking to necessarily consume messaging is still like willing to consume it and click on it and engage with your brand. Um, we had a great inbound this week and I listened to the gong call from the first call and like he, he said something like, I hate clicking on ads. I like never click on them, but man, like you guys did a great job. Like I really 
uh, liked the stuff that your marketing team was putting out there. And I was like, I swear I didn't pay this guy to say this stuff, right? But um, it, it was great validation <laughs> from that first call that like what we're putting out there from a create demand perspective is having the right effect. What What is the breakdown um, or like, and just even like a rough uh, gut feeling, what's the breakdown of, I would imagine a lot of people consume let's take a specific example. So I would imagine a lot of people are consuming some creative or some messaging that you do paid ads on LinkedIn. And like you said, if, if click rates are really high and it's doing great, it's at a 1% click through rate. So, um, you've got people coming direct from the ad, clicking through the website, and then you've got others that maybe are consuming it three times inside of a week and then just come to collab.com. So what, do you have a rough idea of what the, what the breakdown is of like when you when you do these paid ads on social what's the rough like ratio of people who kind of like consume it but like you they don't show up in the click-through rate they just kind of come eventually when they're ready after x amount of times versus the people that like are coming through a click-through rate yeah that's that's a really good question so um Interestingly, I think the current ratio is skewed by the fact that we just started doing this four months ago. So like the first ads that you ever run, like you, there's probably some people who have been feeling this pain like viscerally for a super long time. The first ad you run, they're like, oh my God, click it, convert, boom, right? There's not that many people in the market where that's going to be true, but you've never advertised before. So they're still out there like floating around. Right. So the really early conversions were that like dream situation where it's literally just like click convert attributed to social media. Boom. Very clean. Later, you start getting these conversions of people who have clearly seen multiple ads over multiple weeks. They're like citing multiple different campaign uh, messaging highlights. Right. And they have eventually Googled collab and come to your website. So um, I right now it's probably like 50-50. I would expect it to trend very strongly towards uh, the latter, the less clean attribution, the longer we have messaging in the market for. That is super helpful. Okay, my last question on this, I think, um, is what, how, what is the messaging going out on these social channels where, you know, so like you said, there's... With, with it makes sense with with search there's way more highlighted intent or g2 or something even like they're clearly looking and comparing you against competitors you know that you're showing up for certain keywords so you basically say we are this keyword that you're searching for come over here and look when you're deciding what messaging to take to these social platforms uh this feels overwhelming to me like i've been thinking about this you know for databox and it's like there's your point of view, there's the differences you have that compete against your know, differentiation th that you offer that competitors don't, there's wins you've gotten for your clients and logos that look like them. How are you deciding what messaging, do you have a framework you kind of like brought into the company or how do you think about that? And are you testing multiple at a time? What does that process look like? Yeah. So, um, I have a framework for how I think about messaging as a whole, or how we are, at least the framework we're using at Colab, which is a messaging pyramid. So um, our pyramid has three levels. At the top, you have brand messaging. What's our point of view on major shifts in our customer's world? What is the category we're creating and why? Second level of the pyramid is functional and emotional benefits. Uh, so like what outcomes of what business processes does our does our product facilitate for our customer? And then at the bottom of the pyramid, you have product features and attributes. 
Right now, most of our um, advertising is focusing on outcomes, business processes, middle of the pyramid stuff, and then a lot of our organic um, focuses on brand messaging and category creation. I don't know that that's the right or the wrong way to do it, it's just what we're doing right now. Um, however, I myself am doing a, uh, a deep dive on ad copy and um, how to put your messaging into ads in a way that really effectively gets it in front of the marketplace, because I think this is an extremely important skill if you're running a lot of paid social, especially. So I'm reading Breakthrough Advertising, which is uh, one of the classic books. It was written in like 1966, I think. Okay. Um, so it's like it's like from the perspective of magazine ads. Um, and one of the nuggets that I've read in the last couple of days while reading this book is um, it, you need to know like at what level of awareness your prospects are in order to pick um, uh, what what messages to put in ads. So like the example he gives is if your prospects like know they have a problem, they know they want a product from your category to solve it, um, and and they know they want your product, they just haven't bought it yet. Your ad should literally just be your product with the price. Or like oh, wow. your product, it's on sale, right? That's it. You're just trying to convert them. On right. the other end of the spectrum is they don't even know they have a problem, let alone that there's a solution, let alone that it's from your category, let alone that it's your brand. Uh, in, in that case, the only thing he says that you're left with is the market itself. So your ad should literally just name the person that it's trying to go after, right? So. I saw a, an ad from Upwork like years and years and years ago, which I think falls into this category. And I'll, I can't believe I still remember the copy from this ad, but it said something like, hey, busy manager, yes, you with the 17 hats. And that's all the ad said. It's like it was just naming me, the market, right? And I was a one-person marketing team at the time, and I'm pretty sure I clicked that ad. And the, okay, this is fascinating. So the idea here then is... Um, the more they become aware of you, the more you're driving them to take direct action through this. But you're starting just saying like, we see you, we know you. Well, so for you with your pyramid, are, is this how, are you starting at the top and getting down? Like, do you start with the category and the point of view or do you start with, like that seems like to me, it seems like, um, like uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like Drift is a go-to example a lot of people talk about. It feels like Drift couldn't start with like conversational marketing. They had to start with like, uh, I mean, maybe I guess there could be a case made for like point of view of like, hey, you're going to be outdated if you keep using forms. Um, so how, how, or they could just go to like, hey, this is a chatbot, but it's especially for you salesperson or something like that. So how, when it take, I guess what I'm asking is if you take the insights you just told me from the book and then apply it to your pyramid, which messages are you prioritizing in which phases for collab? Yeah, so I need to um, spend some more time thinking about how this how this particular insight from this book is going to get mapped into collab. Um, but I think if you're in that situation where you're just naming the prospect, it doesn't really matter like which level of the pyramid you're at. It's just you're just naming the prospect. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, it's you're just naming your product and the price. So that would probably be bottom of the pyramid, product features and attributes. Um, in between there, where you're like evangelizing the problem and then your category and then your brand, um, I think you're going to jump around uh, to all three levels of the pyramid. So evangelizing the problem, you're probably middle of the pyramid evangelizing your brand, you're probably closer to the top of the pyramid. Maybe though you have some elements of bottom of the pyramid where you're creating differentiation for, from between potential other players that are in the space. Um, 
So I, I don't think, I guess my answer to that question overall would be, I don't think that one particular stage of awareness maps directly to one level of the messaging pyramid. I think you mix and match a little bit. Okay. Um, okay, so for the second step in your framework after eyeballs is messaging. Yeah. Uh, this is something we were both saying before the call that we enjoy you, especially like you, you're a product marketer at heart. It sounds like what is the ways that, how are you specifically looking at shaping and influencing messaging on the website to attract inbound SAOs? Is that a function of capturing intent that that's there and showing that you're really speaking to them? Or how do you think about structuring messaging and laying out the site? Yeah, so um, I don't think a ton about intent or create demand versus capture demand um, when it comes to messaging on the site. Mm, maybe that's not totally true. So uh, let me start with the, the capture demand um, because as I mentioned earlier, you're kind of like responding and positioning yourself, you're meeting the prospect where they're at, right? So like uh, I do believe in like creating dedicated landing pages for specific keywords, right? So um, you've got branded search is branded search, right? So then they're just gonna see your overall homepage and solutions messaging and all of that. So that the branded search people basically, I, from a website messaging perspective, I'd put them in the create demand bucket. Okay. Um, but, but there's gonna be some non-branded search and there's gonna be some SEO where it's like, you know that they've searched a particular thing before they landed here. So you need to like use your positioning and your point of view, but you need to come at it from the lens of whatever it is that they search, right? So when I was at Firetrace, for example, we would bid on a non-branded keyword called FM200 fire suppression system. And FM200 is a specific kind of clean agent, which you put in a fire suppression system to put out the fire. So like whatever page they landed on couldn't just be about fire trace as a whole. It had to be about FM200 and why FM200, why fire trace if you're looking for FM200, we're an FM200 partner, blah, 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 blah. So um, that's how I come at it from the capture demand perspective. But like there's, for most companies, there's not a ton of non-branded search that's going to actually be super important, right? So it's low-hanging fruit, so you should, like, grab it while you can. Right. But um, ultimately, like, most of what's going to drive your SAOs is probably going to be the create demand stuff. Um, and so for that, it's like uh, you've, you capture them with a hook, and now you have um, a little bit more of an opportunity to elaborate on your key value points. One of them probably should be directly related to the hook, right? Um, but you can make a couple of other points that you think are, are gonna resonate with the prospect. Um, and so the way I think about doing this is I will uh, speak directly to customers one-on-one -on -one in a customer research interview, and then I'll also listen to gong calls. And I will basically prioritize for each use case, what are like the three or four things that come up the most often with one-to-one -one marketing discovery calls or with recorded sales discovery calls in Gong. Like, there's gonna be probably 20 different things that come up. What are the three or four spiciest, like crispiest ones that I really wanna consolidate into a solutions page? And so that I, when I have that opportunity to present that messaging to those eyeballs, it has the highest chance of resonating and, and getting that conversion. And is that like, okay, so there's three, uh there's three most recurring pain points uh, or something. Is that one solutions page per pain point or are those things that you are trying to consolidate in like, you're gonna say those three things on one page? Yeah, so um, it's one solutions page per business process. 
So I talked about cost reduction already. So like people that are using Colab to design cost out of their product. Another one of our uh, use cases is supplier design for manufacturability. So this is when a manufacturer goes to the suppliers that are giving them components and um, in the process of designing each component, they figure out like, we need to design it in such a way that our suppliers, people that work on their shop floor can actually assemble it without it being like something that only a PhD scientist can put together, right? So, so there needs to be a conversation back and forth about the component needs to work, but it needs to be assemblable, right? So that's a different use case. And the people doing cost reduction are gonna have different pain points than the people doing design for manufacturability. So those each get their own solutions page and the pain points on each page are different. Got it, okay. And then the capture demand landing pages that you will create, those are, those are more limited. Those are tied directly to like specific capture demand campaigns. Let's say like Google ads, those are not being linked anywhere, like in the nav or anything, right? Or like those aren't necessarily like a core part of how you're thinking about structuring or are they like, will you, do you intend, I guess a better way to say it is, do you intend people who come in either like through, uh, create demand channels so someone just comes direct because they've seen you enough times and they want to explore are they able to stumble upon these pages that you've created specifically to correspond to capture demand campaigns or are those sort of living unlinked like those serve those people but you ideally want to funnel them through like the capture demand framework yeah no that's a great question um the the capture demand pages are not linked in the navigation typically because they address like a very specific question like how does collab compare to this specific other competitor that does this one thing um the people that are coming in through create demand probably don't have that question like maybe they do but there's a 95 percent chance that they don't so i don't want to clutter the top nav with that that kind of information is there anything else in terms of messaging that you think about that really you feel like is impactful to driving SAOs? So we talked about you're getting on the phone with them, you're having these calls, you're, you're deriving the two to three most recurring topics that come up and then those are being turned into, um, into content. You know, you're trying to keep everything fairly uncluttered. Is there anything else that would go into that for you? Um, I think we've talked uh, about solutions pages. Those are the middle of the pyramid messaging. They are often the landing pages for uh, create demand campaigns. Um, I also think they are very important for people that land on the website through SEO, right? They, they are the pages that do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of um, converting. The other page that does the heavy lifting is the homepage. Like most people are gonna visit your homepage at some point, even if they didn't land there, although a lot of people are gonna land there first. Um, Homepage is, can be tricky to get right, especially if you've done a lot of work on solutions pages, because it's like, which solution do I talk about on the homepage, which pain right. points, right? So um, this is where I would mix in a little bit more of that perspective from the top of the pyramid of like the overall shift in the market that you have a point of view on um, and kind of tell your story. I think you, you can link out to your solutions pages from the homepage, we certainly do. Um, but you need to kind of have a, a more universal message that resonates across use cases so that you can capture people's attention and then sort of filter them down into the use case that um, hopefully will ultimately resonate with them and get them to convert. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, my question here too was like on the homepage as a, as a good example, I find there's often a challenge between 
like everyone wants to talk about leading with value in your copy and in your and in your messaging for a lot of like obviously it makes a ton of sense but i would imagine for something like collab like if you're fairly a new solution like you're semi unique or new in the industry um there's always that tension for me about like do you lead with what it is put in like ways a five-year-old could understand it or like the value and the superhero you're going to become out of using it and i was having a chat with people on linkedin that were like you could blend it you could do this then that like do you do you have a strong opinion or does it depend page by page like when you look at the collab uh homepage, are your headlines the what and then you you know summarize with the value or do you lead do you punch with the value and then like how do you think about that yeah, I mean, I think our messaging is quite aspirational. Um, so we are um, uh, farther away from that, like explain it like a five-year-old could understand it um, side of things. However, I think that you could absolutely do a great job with that that version of the messaging. We consider using that version of the messaging. And I actually think in general, earlier stage companies should do the five-year-old version of the messaging. Um, we deliberately decided not to um, because uh, I think it is important uh, for category creation. And I strongly believe that Collab is creating a category um, to have more aspirational messaging because like, if you're going to create a category, you have to be solving a big, huge problem and you can't be a point solution. And I think explain it like a five-year-old could understand it often works better when you have a point solution. So if you go to our homepage, uh, the hero uh, says uh, every uh, feat of engineering is the, the culmination of thousands of design decisions. What if you could make those decisions two times faster? And so that gets wow, people yeah. thinking big. On yeah, very aspirational. Yeah, I like this framework you're, you're, you're using. So, um, do, and do you think that's something that can change over time? Do you think if a company let's say a company is right just getting started and they just need to say in simple terms, we're this thing for, for this person. Um, and then do you think as they grow and take more market share and they decide, do you, in other words, do you think aspirational is only reserved for people creating a category or do you think everyone can kind of look to move into that? And is there a difference between leading with value and, and like aspirational? Like is aspirational one step even above like the value uh, headlines? I think you can lead with value and be aspirational, but I don't think you have to be aspirational to be leading with value. Yes. Okay. Um, I think um, category creation or like if you are creating truly a platform and not a point solution allows you to uh, develop aspirational messaging. So like I would imagine if you looked at the Wayback Time Machine for Drift, you would see them move from like marketing more of a point solution around chatbots and maybe being more specific about the messaging to a bit more aspirational around conversational marketing and um, being more of a platform for conversational marketing. Same thing with like metadata. I would imagine like they probably started with like, we can help you with targeting on Facebook, right? And now they're moving towards this marketing operating system messaging. Um, and I, I think that probably in terms of venture funded startups, like you often see that progression because in order to like gain momentum and like raise your seed round and then eventually raise your series A round, 
you kind of need to have like market traction with a point solution to prove that like you have some value for customers. And then you kind of raise the big round of funding. I think you often see this with series A and series B. And with that round of funding, your product team starts to tackle like more pieces of this platform to truly create something that delivers on the whole value prop versus the one point solution. And because of that, your messaging naturally changes and morphs over time to reflect more of that platform approach to the market. So I think mm. oftentimes it is it is kind of that progression that you see with venture back startups. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that makes um, it makes a lot of sense. I like the I like the framework of like starting simpler and then everyone can move from like the explain it like I'm five to like the value you'll get out of it with reinforcing the what it is and then like aspirational could be reserved for if you really decide to move into creating a category. Um, do you, so then I, I've nerded out too much about uh, messaging and, and product with you. So I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, the third step, what would you say, what, what's like the core takeaway about how that's, how that's impacting SAOs? So this is like, you're evaluating how the first call specifically is going. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I, I don't know that every marketing team actually gets involved with the first call. Um, but if you really want to be a marketing team that's measured on SAOs, something can't be an SAO without going through the first call. And so it's like, are you, if the first call is not going well, are you just going to say that's sales problem and I'm like not going to get involved with it? Or are you going to partner with sales on that first call experience? Um, and I think what really needs to happen is whatever was sort of promised in terms of the, the value that you can help clients achieve, um, you need to give them a taste of that value on the first call. And so whatever they saw in the marketing messaging like needs to map to that first call experience. So, um, and, and it's interesting because I, like, for example, I went through that flow where uh, a lot of our, our customers are converting on specific solutions pages. So the marketing team has that information, like this person probably cares about cost reduction, for example. The sales team doesn't necessarily have that information, right? So, I mean, an easy win for you is like, if, if it's obvious to you looking at like the HubSpot record of all the pages this person visited and which form they submitted on, um, what they care about, just take a screenshot, drop it in Slack. Hey, when you're prepping for this first call, like you, you want to address these things because if the prospect comes onto the first call and they're like, I'm going to go to this first call and I'm going to learn about an innovative new approach to cost reduction. And then the first call is them being peppered with discovery questions for 28 minutes. And then, Hey, you want to book a next step? Like they're going to, that's not going to feel good for them, right? So really the first call should be like, I don't know, 15 minutes of discovery and then 15 minutes of, of the sales rep sharing value about what the, what the prospect cares about. And you, you have a lot of information as the marketer on what they care about if they've converted inbound. So like equip your sales reps with that information. And then you're able to stay more in sync with sales, it sounds like, and you're offering feedback to like improve the process. You're probably getting feedback to take back to your team. So you're both kind of leveling up together, especially in the early days as these results are coming in. Totally. And um, like you think about how much work you put in to get more eyeballs and convert more of them with messaging. Like if you're going to if you're going to allow that first call to like be a leaky funnel, all of that work. Uh, upstage and uh, upstream in the process is going to waste, right? So like if your first call is a leaky funnel, like fixing that is going to be a huge lever on the entire rest of your marketing programs. Yeah. Yeah. Super smart. Uh, okay. So I know you said you're early, like obviously new role for you. You're only a few months in executing the strategy. Uh, but as far as like 
kind of, what are you saying as far as like good good signs, good trends? Um, are things headed the right direction as, as far as the results of executing the strategy? Yeah, so um, I gotta say, I don't think I've ever seen messaging have as big of an impact in as short as a time uh, span as uh, since joining CoLab. So um, the signs of that, I mentioned, you know, that gong recording of that first call that happened this week where the prospect said a lot of things from our messaging, but also specifically said, I saw this in marketing messaging. So you love to see that, obviously. Um, but, you know, people uh, converting on these use case pages and having a really clear idea of what use case um, they, they want to talk about in the sales process before the first call um, is also another big sign because I mentioned we did a lot of work on those solutions pages early on and that was a difference from before and after the solutions pages that people were coming to us with more of a business process in mind where they wanted to get started with CoLab. Um, and then just overall, like the quality of the SQLs and the SAOs in our pipeline in terms of firmographic fit and in terms of motivation to explore Collab as a, as a solution is um, trending up. Um, I okay. talked about how I focused a lot on that messaging piece of that three-step equation. Um, so those are some of the leading indicators to know that the messaging is working. I think next I'm going to be focused more on eyeballs. So um, that's when the quantity uh, piece of it will really kick in. Now, when you say the quality is improving, is that just of all total leads, an increasing percentage are fitting your your firm, like your qualifications for SQL and SAO, or is it like are you, are you using some like lead scoring mechanism where like someone could be a worse SAO than another one? No, it's um it's the former. Okay. Um, it, it could be that when, when this gets to the point where we're having hundreds and hundreds of conversations every month that we might need some kind of automation around lead scoring, but um, at this point in Collab's trajectory, I can examine every single lead that comes in, um, and so I will continue to do that um, and develop a strong, strong understanding of what's in the pipeline and then automate it when I need to. Okay, makes sense. Well, MJ, thank you so much uh, for coming on today. This was awesome. This was super fun for me to geek out about and um, one, you know, one of my favorite conversations. So thanks for sharing all the insight that you did. Uh, we hopefully will maybe have you back in the future if you'd be willing. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you for having me. This was fun for me too, and I can't wait to see uh, it come up. All right, sounds good. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.